you can say you have diversity, but do you have inclusion? So you want to make sure that people are feeling included and feeling heard and valued and that their opinions are heard as well. You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Piscina Leadership Institute, we make leaders better. Hello and welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. My name is Kaida Jesus and today I'll be your host. Today we're talking to Acacia Palmer, a senior at Seton Hall University studying diplomacy and international relations with minors in Spanish and economics. She interned at the U.S. Department of State and currently she works as a research assistant at Seton Hall. She's held a variety of other internships at places like the Office of the Mayor of New York City and Housing Plus. She is the recipient of Seton Hall's 2021 Servant Leader Award, and she's involved on several organizations on campus, like the Black Student Union and Having Appreciation in Realness, aka Hair, which facilitates the education and appreciation of diversity and natural hair. Acacia, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I wanted to start with the fact that your resume just seems like so cohesive. I feel like there's a lot of elements of social justice and politics in there, and it's kind of like you know exactly what you want to do. How did you realize what you wanted to do, and what do you suggest for, say, maybe a high school senior figuring out what they may want to major in in college? How do you figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life? The reason why I found out what I want to do primarily for the rest of my life would definitely involve helping others, and when I say helping others, I mean public service, specifically with food insecurity, human rights, and economics, and this all came to me when I had a internship at a soup kitchen in Harlem in 2018 in the summer where I was placed as an intern in the development office, but I was also able to work in different components of the nonprofit organization. And after my typical nine to five, I would stay afterwards to volunteer and serve the homeless and low income through a hot meals program that they had three times a week. So through doing this, I was really able to connect with homeless people, low-income individuals, and anyone that really needed the support that the organization offered. And I really got to know them and form very strong relationships. And they would ask me about how my day was going, and I would ask them about how their day was going. But it really just allowed me to know that when I thought I was going to be placed at a soup kitchen, I didn't know what that was before. So I was like, okay, I'll just be stacking cans on a shelf all day. However... Through the internship and the experience I had volunteering there, I realized that so much more goes into this and that food insecurity is a really big issue. So after learning more about food insecurity, this was all during my um, junior and senior year of high school that I volunteered there. So after learning more about food insecurity, I realized that when I was going to colleges, I wanted to do something that had to pertain to human rights. And that ultimately led me to the School of Diplomacy studying about international relations and definitely learning about food insecurity, not only on a domestic scale, but also international scale. And through the various internships that I've had and experiences that I've had through different classes and coursework, I really, really was able to understand that I would like to work in a field that addresses these human rights issues and also these economic issues. And this past summer, I did a program at Princeton University called the PPIA, or Public Policy and International Affairs Program. And it's a fellowship that allowed me to work on a capstone project with other students and take classes in statistics and our studio and 
global systemic risk, really just learning about a lot of the issues around the world, but also allowing me to look at refugees and migration and just issues affecting people all over the world, again, relating back to economics and um, food insecurity. So that was really a wonderful experience that just added to solidifying my interests. So you mentioned homelessness, human rights, food insecurity. I feel like in the age of social media, there's you you hear about so many like different things. You hear about all these problems going on in every parts of the world. How did you prioritize what was most important to you? Because obviously you can't solve any everything. Of course, and honestly, the way I think about it is, no matter what, I would like to make a difference, whether it's on a super large scale or a smaller scale. I understand that, of course, I cannot solve all the issues out there, but just me doing as much as I can and doing my part already contributes so much. So in terms of, you know, seeing all these things on social media and, of course, learning about a vast variety of issues, one thing that has allowed me to kind of intertwine the issues I'm passionate about is when learning about food insecurity, I know that economic development is a part of that. I know that sustainable development is a part of that. I know that, of course, I'm a New York native, so I'm from the Bronx, New York. Just seeing a lot of poverty and learning about social justice and racism, all of these things really intertwine with my passion, ultimately being, you know, public service as the umbrella. So when learning about different subfields or other areas that are similar and have their own issues, it's been easy for me to kind of dive into that and understand those issues with having the background that I have and the basis that I've had. So of course, you know, there are a million issues that need to be addressed. However, I do believe that maybe sticking to one or two that you're passionate about will allow you to be more organized in the sense of focusing on one thing rather than trying to change a million things, which is ultimately, you know, very difficult to do. If someone is like lost on which few causes that they should be looking at, what would you suggest to them? I would suggest exposure in the sense of trying to learn about as much as you can. When we see things trending on social media or we see things in the news or we read about things in class, you know, ultimately, when you learn about these things, that would fuel your interest or fuel your passion or, you know, give you the exposure that you need to say, oh, I like this or, oh, I don't like this or... I'm interested in this, or actually, I don't think I want to learn more about this. So ultimately, it it dives down to exposure and just really seeing what's out there, seeing what's in the media, seeing what is on the news, because from there, you'll be able to know about different issues. And then obviously, once you know about something, then from there, you can say, okay, I would like to work in this or learn more about this. And I would also recommend a lot of internships or volunteer experiences, primarily because through internships, I've been able to have a hands-on approach to things that I'm passionate about and things that I would love to do for my career. And internships also can break you in terms of saying, okay, I don't like this or I don't think I want to work in this field. So internships really give you some sort of, I would say, a step in the door in, in terms of seeing what you like and what you don't like when it comes to practice and application. So, you know, a component of it is the application part. And also to the exposure part. So you definitely want to see what you like and experience what you like and experience what you don't like. If you don't know something, then how could you know what 
you like, basically. Yeah. So you mentioned exposure. Are there any like places or like news outlets or books or authors that you recommend in terms of getting that sort of exposure? So yeah, so within my field, I didn't know much about diplomacy prior to coming to Seton Hall University, but I did know that I liked human rights and I liked economic development. So in terms of authors, I wish I had a million that I could say I've, you know, read throughout high school. But throughout college, I would say I really recommend news outlets like the Council on Foreign Relations. That's a great news outlet. They have a lot of different articles and published work on issues from around the entire world. And, you know, a reliable news source I also would recommend. If you're thinking more international, BBC News or... Even, you know, if you watch the local news at home, you still have those segments like ABC where they show, like, you know, international news. But I would say definitely it's something that you have to kind of figure out yourself. Like, you might, what you might think is reliable, someone else might not think is reliable. Or you might not like the way that one person reports the news compared to someone else. So I would say kind of get a feel for it yourself and see what you actually like. But I would really say the Council on Foreign Relations is really a good source if you're interested in affairs, not only domestically, but also internationally, because they have a good mix of both, and they're very up-to-date on different things. They research things before they publish it, so it's not just reporting news, but it's also, like, very research-heavy. I would also suggest reading books that pertain more to, like, well, at least in my interest, I would suggest reading books by W.E. Du Bois, where he talks a lot about, you know, racism, and even, you know, if you might not be interested in learning too much about political science or African-American history or so forth, we see in today's society that a lot of injustices occur primarily to African-Americans and black individuals. So even just reading something like that can help you know how to be a more effective ally or be more educated about a group that you belong to if you do belong to that group. And in terms of podcasts, I know there are a lot of great podcasts out there. I don't listen to too many podcasts because I don't really have the time to. But I know that if you find a podcast or someone that you like to listen to, I would keep listening to them. And if you're feeling a bit unmotivated or lost, I would just plug one person. His name is Eric Thomas, and some people call him E.T. But he is a motivational speaker on YouTube, and a lot of his speeches have moved me on the days where I was feeling unmotivated or feeling lost or discouraged. So no matter what field you are in or interested of going into, I'd really listen to him and just allow him to let you know how powerful you truly are. You know, it's easier said than done, but just listening to that and having someone motivate you and push you to do whatever it is that you're interested, whether it's art or foreign affairs or you want to be a musician or you want to be a doctor or teacher or you're into trades, having someone that can really motivate you at the times that you're feeling unmotivated is important. And it might be a family member or a friend, or if you don't have anyone that you know close to you that can motivate you, I would really recommend E.T. or Eric Thomas because he really he really gets the job done. Okay, and you also mentioned internships, and you've gotten quite a bit. I know that internships, not always an easy thing to get. What is something you've learned through the process of getting them? And what tips do you have to just get through that? Of course. So ultimately, everything that I apply to is always a learning experience for me because something that might work before might not work again. But I would say in terms of internships or fellowships, the first tip I would give is to be sure that you want to intern there or have that fellowship, primarily because it will be difficult for you to sell yourself to someone 
in the sense of an interview or application if you don't feel like you want to be there yourself. So first, I would say reflect on like what this internship can give you and what you can take away from it, but also what you can bring to the internship. And I think that would make a powerful personal statement because ultimately, you know, they want to teach you things, but you want to also contribute to that work environment and bring your knowledge and background into this position as well. And then in terms of more written components, I would say have people review your work. You know, personal statements are always going to get tore up because, you know, there's always so much room for improvement and you might miss something and someone else might be able to catch it upon reading your statement. So, you know, be prepared to have many drafts of personal statements. I would say try to have mock interviews with friends or family members or anyone that is close to you that can kind of help. And if there is no one, record yourself or set up, you know, look in the mirror or just practice that way because most people know the typical interview questions. Of course, you can't prepare for everything and anything because, you know, anything is on the table and specific programs have different questions, of course. But most generally, like, talk about your strengths and weaknesses to a colleague or yourself or, you know, talk about a time that you had to work in a group. Those type of questions we know would would come up regardless. So just practice as much as you can before an interview. And in terms of having a strong application, I would say try to focus on your academics because a lot of places will ask for your transcript or ask for your grades. Or even if you're not not a straight-A student, they want to see effort. They want to see improvement if you've improved. So really try to have a well-rounded approach to applying. Or if you can get involved in different organizations, get involved, put yourself out there. You know, all of these things ultimately build your portfolio before you even apply to opportunities. So really just put yourself out there. If there is one organization that you're passionate about in terms of campus involvement or school involvement, and you don't have time for many, you know, put your all into that organization or move up the ranks in that organization. Maybe you'll start off as a member and then, you know, move to treasurer and then move to president. Even those things, you have notable skills from each position that you can ultimately you know, present to an internship or to a fellowship. So really just try to hone in on your skills and apply yourself and really challenge yourself as well. Yeah, and I know that you talked about getting involved in an organization and you're very, very involved on campus. I see you do a lot of things. How do you keep that all straight and how do you prioritize what you want to do and how much effort you can put into it at any given time? Of course, so the way that I really stay on top of things and stay organized is... It sounds cliche, but it is through my planner. It also is through Outlook Calendar and also the Notes app on my phone. So whenever I think of something or, you know, someone approaches me with an idea or wanting to meet, I'll write it in my notes and then I'll add it to my calendar. And having the calendar app on my phone really allows me to see the schedule that I have for the day without having to pull out a planner or having to pull up my laptop. And then also... Having reminders is very important. That's what I do for myself. Sometimes I set multiple alarms if I have meetings or if I have assignments to work on. You know, timing yourself is good to to get into practice. I would say also on having a planner, something that really helps me is at the start of every month, I'll write down all of my assignments for that month. I don't work too much in advance because it can be overwhelming, especially if you're like, okay, it's January, let me write down something that's coming up in March and plan March because, you know, anything can happen. You don't want to over plan and then fall short. So I would say focus on one thing at a time or one month at a time or even one day at a time if you need to. But 
planning out the month ahead on like the first of the month has really helped me. And then if, as things come up, of course, you can add them in and pencil them in. But really having some sort of organizational component where you're not surprised as assignments are due or surprised as meetings come up. You can always reflect back and say, oh, yeah, I did remember you mentioned this. It's in my calendar. Of course, it's still happening. Or, okay, it's been two weeks and I have an assignment due. Let me check my planner and then you see what's due. So really having my planner and Outlook calendar has helped me to stay organized and also writing things down. Do you prefer analog or digital? I would say I'm a mix of both. Of course, it's a personal thing, but I know when I write things down, I remember them really well. And I know that's like a proven study that when humans write things down, we remember better. But I would say having things digitally also allows it to be on the go. So, of course, you might not go to the supermarket with your planner, but you're going to go with your phone. And if something comes up, you can check your calendar on your phone and say, oh, actually, I'm busy this day or I'm free this day. You know, you can do the same thing with your planner, but most times you might not have your planner on you. So I personally use both. I'll have things on my planner and also on my phone calendar just as an extra backup. But I really do prefer to have both. But I would say ultimately having things on my phone has made has made my calendar on the go and made things more convenient for me. Okay, so I want to hone in on some of the acti- like the specific organizations that you do on campus. And one of those that I mentioned is HAIR. Having appreciation and realness, that's a really abstract thing. Can you talk more about it, especially to listeners who are unaware, and talk about why it's important? Of course. So my sophomore year of, I believe it was the spring semester of my freshman year, or early sophomore year, I was with my friends in my dorm, and we were just talking about how we noticed on campus not a lot of people had natural hair or would really, you know, wear their hair curly. Just something that we observed as we would walk around campus, specifically within the minority community as well. Not many people seem too comfortable in their hair because this is a predominantly white university. And we did want, we did wonder why that was happening. So we were thinking to ourselves, maybe we could start a natural hair organization, which really helps people feel more comfortable in the skin that they're in. And also, you know, once you're more, once you feel comfortable on the outside, you feel comfortable inside, which means you have more confidence, you know, and you can present yourself well, speak highly without having to be too shy or, you know, nervous or uncomfortable. And then also, it just affects the way that you view yourself as well. So ultimately, how you see yourself is more important than how others perceive you. But if you feel confident and you, you know, you're taking care of yourself in the best way possible, that helps you feel better as a person. So when we were thinking about these things, we were thinking, you know, maybe if we started an organization that can help people learn how to care for their hair, feel more comfortable within their hair. You know, even if your hair is not curly, you can still take some of the tips and advice that we have on maintenance and taking care of your hair. You know, we all have hair, so you want to take care of that. And, you know, we didn't leave the guys out either. We thought about our guy friends as well and just guys on campus and in the community and how they might struggle with maintaining their hair or, you know, taking care of themselves. So just having that approach really allowed us to reach people on campus and in the natural hair community and those outside of that community as well, but really reach others to help them know how to take care of themselves. So even just by asking around at the time, a lot of people that we knew didn't know how to take care of their natural hair. 
as we see, you know, natural hair is something that is still very, like, emerging and, and upcoming in terms of maintenance and hair products. I know when I was younger, there weren't many hair products that I could have used for my, you know, my natural hair. Now we have hair products based on hair type. Like, we have so many more opportunities and products that we can use to take care of ourselves and maintain. So we wanted to, you know, raise awareness of that and also teach others that your hair is beautiful, you know, no matter what texture you have, no matter if you, what curl pattern you have, it's beautiful. And just knowing that it's beautiful already gives you some confidence. So just feeling that way about yourself, but then also having the tools and materials you need to have proper maintenance and have, you know, this safe space where you can talk to other people who can relate to you, who have the same experiences as you is really important because ultimately you want to take care of yourself and and be the best version of yourself that you can. And a lot of times it is a mix of physical and internal things as well. Right. And this is a little bit about diversity. And we've been talking a little bit about that. And like the concept of introducing diversity, quote unquote, seems like a really, really big ask for like leaders because it's just so abstract. Like what is diversity? How do I include more of it other than just tokenizing people. Yeah. What actions can a leader, regardless of color, regardless of sexuality or any other um, factor, how do they promote diversity? I would say a big way to promote diversity is to get educated. Uh, Oftentimes, you know, we want to be allies or support people who may face oppression or who may not get the recognition that they deserve for different things. And without being educated on the history behind it or being educated on ways that you can personally get involved, you might do more damage than good. You might have good intentions and it might, you know, your delivery might be off. So I'd say get educated. There are so many resources out there on ways that you can promote diversity and inclusion. I would say it could even be something as small as making sure that People around you are heard, their opinions are heard, their voices are heard, regardless of their background, regardless of who they are. You know, a lot of things with diversity are not only about race, it could be about people in the LGBTQ community. It could be, you know, people who might feel like they don't fit in for whatever reasons there are. So ultimately, you want to encourage people that, you know, they matter They're important. No matter where you come from, who you are, what you represent, you have something to contribute always to the conversation, always to society. So really just reminding people that you see of that is a very important way that you can ensure diversity is taking place and inclusion. Because, you know, you can say you have diversity, but do you have inclusion? So you want to make sure that people are feeling included and feeling heard and valued and that their opinions are heard as well. So even when working in a team or a group or in an organization, in a classroom, whatever it may be, you know, you want to ensure that you are including others. And, you know, ultimately this is a college campus, but when you go into the professional world, you're going to be facing all types of people. You want to know how to work with those people, how to really talk to people, because you might not have to do that too much here but when you go into the real world you'll see that there's all types of people living of different backgrounds socioeconomic statuses cultures etc so you really want to ensure that you're trying to learn more about diversity learn more about oppression that people face learn more about 
how you can help challenge that or eradicate some of the oppression or alleviate some of the burdens that they carry and really listen to them and really hear them and ensure that they feel heard and work in the ways that you can to really include everyone. So I think the notion that diversity and inclusion are two different things, I think that's really fascinating. Can you talk more about that difference for those who might not catch it? Of course, I'm no expert, but in my opinion, I would say they're different in the sense that you can have diversity initiatives or you can say my organization is diverse or my school is diverse or my town is diverse, which obviously means that there are people from different cultures, backgrounds, again, socioeconomic status or religion or even sexuality there, right? That would make that town or thing diverse within itself, as long as there is a variety, right? Now, that variety is there, but is everyone included? If they're not included, then I would say it's diverse, but there's no inclusion. If it's diverse and there is inclusion, then those people from these diverse backgrounds will feel important, will feel valued, will feel heard, will feel a part of the town or a part of the organization or a part of whatever it is that they're a part of. You know, again, you can have them there, but if they're not really being recognized or assimilated or a part of this, then they don't feel included. So with diversity and inclusion, they're two different things, but they go hand in hand and one cannot strive without the other. To have diversity and inclusion, you need to have diversity and an array of things, but you need to have people feel included as well. So what can a leader do to make their team more inclusive? I would say this goes back to what I was saying about really ensuring that everyone's opinions are heard or their voices are heard. As a leader, you're going to come into contact with a lot of people. You're going to work with a lot of people. You're going to lead a lot of people. But as an effective leader, you want to make sure that those around you are heard and supported and know that their opinions matter and they contribute something of quality to the organization or to whatever it is that you lead. You want to make sure that they know that they are a key component in this and without them, it wouldn't be, you know, what it is. You can lead people, but ultimately it's the people that really bring a lot of the value into whatever it is the organization or society or the town or whatever it may be. So really just ensuring that they know that they're they're in a safe space, one, and that their opinions are always heard and valued, encourages people to speak up more, encourages people to participate more. And, you know, as a leader, you want to make sure that you're addressing the needs of the group or the organization or whatever it is that you lead. It could be a team at work. It could be anything. But without taking into account the needs of others, then you're just a leader that's not really having a holistic approach. In a way, it's more selfish. You know, you're leading others, so being selfish is not an option. You want to make sure that everyone knows that they play an important role. You mentioned education as a way to inspire inclusion and diversity. And I think what some people get caught up in is how do you... um convert what you've learned into action of course so when i say education i mean reading about different things that may have occurred throughout history so for example you know even learning about something like black history and segregation or learning about the holocaust or learning about 
struggles that people may face from low-income areas. Just learning about things really allows you to know more about things and not be ignorant towards it. So, of course, if you have never had to interact with people of a different culture or race than you, then you wouldn't know how to interact with them. But if you know that you've learned things about, you know, their history or oppression that they face or contributions that they made to society, it doesn't all have to be negative. You know, you could learn about the positives within a certain culture and the things that they really value and add to society, then, you know, ultimately you'll know more about these issues or these people compared to just being ignorant to the total subject. And I would say once you have this knowledge, it might be difficult to figure out how to apply the knowledge, but it would allow you to alleviate yourself of implicit bias that you carry. Implicit bias being the bias that we all have towards a certain group of people just because we've never really you know, interacted with them or spoken to them or whatever it is. It's just like a bias that we have in which we pass judgment onto others. It could be someone of a different group than you. It could be, you know, a different person for whatever reason. But implicitly, we have this bias. And without knowing about our implicit bias and really addressing that implicit bias, then it will be hard for you to foster and practice inclusion and diversity. So just educating yourselves on the different things out there and the different um, people and what people may struggle with or experience is important when thinking of how to support others or if you think specifically about the Black Lives Matter movement. When learning about the Black Lives Matter movement, you know about the Black Lives Matter movement and you know that can help you be an effective ally. You can read books on effective allyship or read ways that you can support another group. So if you are a white person and you want to support a person of color, you know, learning about privilege that you have as a white person might allow you to support a person of color because you might say, okay, I recognize the privilege I have. How can I elevate the concern that you have? How can I help you in the privilege or opportunities that I have? Okay, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I do have one question for you, and that's, this is a very, very big, big world. Uh, what would you say to those who are just, who want to help change it? What's your advice for them? Of course, and thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate having the platform to talk about things that I'm passionate about. And in terms of advice for those, I would say it starts with you and it starts now. Don't wait for the perfect time or the perfect opportunity or, you know, think of, uh, I might not contribute anything. Let me wait for someone else. Like, it really starts with you. And it starts with your mindset and your mentality. If you want to change the world, you know, you don't have to go out and make a million dollars and feed all of the people you think that are hungry in the entire world. You know, just doing something that you can, whether it's small or large, is super important. And we might not all be blessed with the resources to make gigantic changes you know but those small strides those small changes ultimately impact so if you think about climate change you know maybe some days you'll ride a bike to work or to school instead of driving because you know bikes obviously don't have harmful emissions that cars might have that's something small but something that ultimately impacts the world or if you really 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 love helping others 
maybe you can see a woman and she's struggling with a stroller. Instead of ignoring her, you might help her. You might help her up the stairs with a stroller. You know, you love to volunteer. Maybe this time, instead of volunteering at an animal shelter, you might say, I think I want to volunteer with people. I think I want to go to a nursing home or do something different. You know, and if you're not volunteering yet, you can slowly incorporate different ways to volunteer into that. So I would say just always remember there's no perfect moment, no perfect way, no rule book or, you know, instruction guide towards creating change. But just remember that anything that you do, you know, anything positive that you do or anything that you really, you know, contribute is something and don't feel like it's nothing, it's something. And ultimately, you can start small and work your way up. But really, those small things do add up into something big. Okay, once again, thank you for coming on to the show, getting to talk to you for a little bit. And for our listeners, we'll see you next week. On behalf of everyone at the Pasita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU, for allowing us to use their facilities, and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership, on Instagram at Bacino Leaders, and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.